Cross America, K-A-A. Uh, there we go. Uh, there are a couple people that have been there from uh, Good News, and actually this year, our church actually sent a group of uh, high schoolers out there as well. I have middle schoolers, right? Um, so it was a group from our church that actually went. It was great to work there. I worked there all summer. Um, and as a 5-4 counselor of the high school camp in Cabin number B6, Boys Cabin 6, the Trey Trey Kings, you can imagine that as the 5-4 counselor of the 16-year-olds who are mostly basketball and football players, my campers were usually a whole lot bigger and a whole lot stronger than me. Rarely did I ever see my campers eye to eye. <laughs> but there's one in particular, one story, one camper in specific that I want to tell you about today. He stepped into the cabin for his first day of camp. He put his bag down right there at the door and announced, My name is Tay Tay AK-47. Don't forget it. To everyone in the cabin. And I walked up as politely and as kindly and as welcoming as I could. Step, you know, reach out my hand. What's up, man? Nice to meet you. What did you say your name was? You heard it. Tay Tay AK-47. It wasn't just the name, it was the way he said it. It was kind of a snarl to it. He tried to really, really be tough, scare me. It kind of did, actually. <laughs> he was a football player from Detroit, and for the rest of the week, this kid tried to show me how tough he really was. In fact, he wanted to prove that he was the toughest. His name was Deontay. But Tay-Tay's AK got jammed and there were no more snarky, tough guy comments to shoot in my direction today. I ended up being the sub of his high adventure class. Deontay hadn't done any of the high adventure obstacles yet. And because I was his teacher, he decided he wanted to go first. Alright, Deontay. Today's obstacle is the faith pole. Come on up, let's get you in the harness. Now, for those of you that have never been to Kids Across America before, I should probably tell you what the faith pole is. It's a 30-foot pole. It looks a lot like a light post the one that we have outside. And it has these metal staples on the sides of it so that the campers can grab a hold and scale to the top. Well, the objective of the faith pole is for the camper to climb to the top, get on their stomach, and turn so that they're facing the person holding them secure. And they're supposed to stand up and, like an acrobat, jump to grab a trapeze that's a few feet in front of the faith pole. Now, there's one rule you should probably know about. The only way down from the faith pole once you start is to get all the way to the top and jump. As the counselor's holding the, the camper up, we don't let you back down until you do that. And Deontay, as tough as he was, stands there. I put him in the harness. Alright, legs, check. Chest harness, secure. All the double back throughs are clear. Deontay, are you ready? Yeah, 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 I'm ready. Alright, great. Well, welcome to the faith pole. What I want you to do is I want you to climb to the top and when you get there, Deontay, I'll give you further instruction. He went from tough guy, too cool for school, to where I was about 15 feet away from him and I can hear every inhalation of breath. <sighs> Deontay, you alright? <sighs> Deontay, you already have one foot on the pole. 
You're at the top. What I want you to do is put both hands on that knee and stand straight up. I can't. Deontay, the plan works. Trust me, you can. Just put both hands on that knee and stand straight up. I can't do that. This pole's shaking too much. I, I don't got balance for this. Deontay, trust me. I'm right here with you. I've got the rope. You'll be fine. Just stand straight up. You're not listening. You're not listening. I can't do this. How many of us have had that conversation with God? How many of us have stood at the top of the faith pole, one foot already on it, and have said that same remark to God? You're not listening. I can't do this. The problem, the dilemma that Deontay faced wasn't that his harness was loose or that he didn't think that the rope I had would hold him. The problem with the plan to get Deontay to the top of the pole and jump was him. In Deontay's mind, the problem with the plan was that we would get him to jump from the pole. What happens when that's our problem with God's plan? When the problem is that it includes us? What happens when God decides he wants to save your neighbor, but the plan is for you to go share the gospel with them? The neighbor that you think doesn't like you, the neighbor you're too scared to say hello to. What happens when God has a couple objectives with your family? In fact, his goal is to rescue them from the situation they're in. What happens when God wants you to share your faith with that uncle that doesn't want to hear anything about the church or Jesus Christ? What happens when that's a problem? What do I do when the problem with God's plan is that I'm in it? The problem with God's objectives are that they include me. The problem with the proposal is that the fine print has my name on it. What do I do when God's plan includes me? How do we answer this question? See, there's a problem with the question, though. The problem is we've got the wrong eye. Not the wrong eye, but the wrong eye. I, the pronoun. But we aren't the only ones that have made this mistake. We're not. So don't worry. Someone's already gone down that road. Someone's already had that conversation with God. And today we're going to get a small window into that conversation. We get to hear it, sit in on it. As God calls one of his prophets into ministry, we're welcome in to sit in the back of the room and listen in as God lays out his plan and we get to hear the prophet's reasons as to why God got the wrong guy. And you would think I were talking about Jonah or Jeremiah, but I'm not. In fact, the prophet that we get to hear about today is none other than Moses. The writer of the first five books of the Bible thinks God got the wrong guy. And our goal is to try to find the answer, to try to find the right eye, to try to answer that question. What happens when the problem with God's plan is that I'm in it? 
And so if you haven't already, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Where we get to listen in as Moses and God discuss their viewpoints. The way they see things. Again, that's Exodus chapter 3. It's a very familiar story. Most of you probably will recognize it, have seen it on TV or in a movie. Exodus chapter 3. If you guys don't mind, I'd love to pray before we continue. Let's pray. Lord, we've encountered you in this place. Um, These walls remember the moments where people have come to know your son Jesus Christ. Here in this place. There's history here. History of the encounters we've had with you. And God... Today is no different. We ask that we would encounter you. That your word would go forth proclaimed. That you would change hearts and save. And that you would remind us of who you are. Exodus, the God revealed, lives redeemed. That we would see that today in this story. Give give us boldness and faith to believe. And to trust the truths that are there in it. We pray this in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been almost 40 years since Moses arrived to Midian. He's married now. He has a son. And he's actually working as a pastor. He pastors his father-in-law's flock. And he's pretty good at his job. In fact, today he's moving out west, hoping to find... The greener grass on the other side of the hill. Hoping to find better pastures for his flock to graze. Because Midian isn't giving him too much today. And as he moves out west, he stops at Mount Horeb. Because he finds a good plot of land there. But what he doesn't know is whose house he's arrived at. Whose mountain he stands near. Mount Horeb, according to Exodus 3, is the mountain of God. But Moses doesn't know that. The Bible tells us that, but Moses has no idea. But he's about to find out. And you guys know how he does. From the corner of his eyes, something catches his attention. He sees something that he didn't notice when he first arrived. A burning bush. And I imagine that the obvious first question Moses asked wasn't why is that bush burning, but who set it aflame? Who set that bush on fire? Moses was pretty certain that he was the only one in that area. So I imagine that he probably asked himself, how did that fire start? And then as he stared at it trying to figure out how this started, it's probably when he asked himself, How is that bush not ashes yet? How is it that it's burning, but it's not being consumed? What's up with this bush? And so Moses decides to take a closer look. To look a little closer. To take a little peek. And if it wasn't already remarkable to see a bush burning that wasn't being consumed... What happens next is absolutely extraordinary. Because Moses hears the voice of the owner of that mountain. 
And that voice calls his name. Moses. Moses. I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham. The God of Isaac. The God of Jacob. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because the ground that you stand on is holy. And Moses, hearing what he just heard, what's he do? He hides his face. I've wondered why Moses did this. And I, I can only imagine that he did it because it's been years since he's heard of anyone encountering God. 400 years Israel has been in Egypt. No one has heard of an encounter with God. The God of his father, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And now this God is speaking to him through this burning bush. I would hide my face too. I wouldn't want to get caught looking at the God who no one has looked at for years. But that's where our story starts. Moses hiding his face. God introducing himself and his plan. And look what God says. He lays out his plan before Moses, beginning in chapter 3, verse 7. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, out of Israel. Now, I've wondered where my parents came up with their philosophy for parenting before. I've asked myself that question a couple times. Where in the world did my parents come up with this idea? And I found out as I studied this passage that some of the ideas came out of the book of Exodus. Because what my parents did when I was a kid is textbook this exact thing. You see it? Well, if you don't, let me give you an example. When I was... About 14, 15 years old, living in a small suburb outside of Orlando called Point Siena, Florida. Okay, Point Siena. It's a suburb, so as most of you know, if you've been to a suburb, most of the houses look exactly the same, right? Suburbs are kind of cookie cutter, the same thing, right? And my mom is probably a whole lot more like me than I care to admit. She doesn't want to look like anyone else. She wants to be different, right? And I don't remember where we were coming from, but as we were driving home, we pull into the small driveway that we have, and my mom, staring at the house, says, I'm going to paint the house a different color this year. Hey, well, Ricky, get back in the car. We're going to drive to Home Depot. I'm going to get you some paintbrushes so you can get started. What? You said you were going to paint the house. What's that got to do with us? You've probably been there before, right? Your parents have probably done that. I know my mom did it more than once. Textbook, what God does to Moses here. I have come down to deliver my people. Come, Moses, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so you can get it done. What? 
Now, I don't know if Moses felt the way that I felt when my mom did that to me. And his answer doesn't really tell us. Because what Moses says next can be taken as incredibly humble and pious. Or incredibly unconfident and fearful. Because his answer to God is, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and rescue the people of Israel? Who am I? Now, he could be really humble. God, who am I? I'm undeserving of this gift, this great call that you've given me, that you have called me to do this amazing task of going to Pharaoh and saving the people. I I don't deserve it, God. Thank you. He could be humble. Or he could be downright terrified. Who am I? Are you kidding me? You got the wrong guy. I can't do this. No, 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 no. God, you must be mistaken. This plan just isn't going to work. This plan just isn't going to work. Regardless of how Moses really felt, God adds one little detail that he left out from his original plan. One small detail that is absolutely significant. Because what he says next to Moses, ignoring his statement, ignoring Moses' Who am I? God says, Moses, I will be with you. And the sign that I have called you and sent you to do this task is that my people, the people of Israel, will worship me right here in my home, right here on this mountain. Now Moses... And I probably have some things in common. At least I would hope. Because as I think through what he does next, I think I would have done the exact same thing. Because what Moses says to God next kind of reveals how he really feels about God's plan. It kind of says what he's really thinking and feeling deep down in his heart. Because he paints a scenario for God and then gives God a question. Let's look and see what what Moses does In response to God's little plan. In response to God saying, I will be with you. Because the reality, the reality of it is, that the sign that God gives probably doesn't work for Moses. The sign that God's plan will work, that the people of Israel will be rescued through Moses, was that the people of Israel would worship on that mountain. It's not a very good sign, right? At least, not in the eyes of Moses. Think about it. The sign that what God will do through you will work is that God will do it through you. That the people of Israel will make it out. For Moses, that doesn't really work. And so here's his scenario. Beginning in verse 13, Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses paints a scenario with an imaginary people of Israel who ask him, who make an objection to Moses' claim and say, yeah, well, if God showed up to you, what's his name? And what happens next is significant, Good News Bible Church. What happens next is incredible because what God does in response is sort of a type, a model 
for what God does response as a response to all of us in our doubts. What God does here for Moses is what he does for us too when he talks to us about his plan to use us. What he does is that he answers what Moses is really saying. He gets down to the bottom of it, to the issue in Moses' heart and mind. He answers Moses first, not in exclusion to Moses' question. Not that he ignores what Moses has to say. Not that he totally skips it and says, that's irrelevant, Moses. He's going to answer Moses' question too. But before he does that, he answers Moses' heart, his doubt. Because look at how it's written. Notice. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now, some of you probably have a footnote there. Can someone say out loud what your footnote says? Come on, someone can do it. I will be what I will be. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. Thank you. Listen to what God says to Moses. Why does he say it? Why do you think he says it? It's interesting to me that God would answer Moses' question by saying, I am who I am. Or another way to say it, I will be who I will be. The problem with Moses is that he's a lot like us. He keeps saying, if I go to the people of Israel and say that I met with God, they're going to ask me, well, yeah, whose name is it? Whose name is this God? Moses, you've got the wrong eye. You've missed the point entirely. God has revealed himself to you. And he is the I am. He is God. And another way to say it is, He will continue to be God. He is the I will be who I will be. And He just revealed Himself to you. Moses, you already know who this God is. Good News Bible Church, you already know who this God is. God has put Himself in self-disclosure completely. God is revealed. If you don't believe me, let's, let's look back at God's plan. Let's, let's take a second to rewind the story a little bit. Look, look what God says originally to Moses. Remember in verse 7, he starts by laying out his plan, right? And look what he says to Moses. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Fast forward a little, he says, and have heard their cry. And a little further, he says, and I know their sufferings. I've heard... I've seen, I know. I've heard, I've seen, I know. NIV translation says, not I know, but I'm concerned with the suffering of my people. God revealed himself to Moses as the God of his father. That is the God who's always been there for that people, the Israelites. And not just that God, but a holy God. Because he tells Moses, don't come any closer, take off your sandals, this place is holy ground. So he's the God of the covenant, the holy God. But not just that, there are three other details. God reveals himself to Moses. He says, I'm the God who hears. I'm the God who sees. Affliction and pain. 
And I know the suffering of my people. I know it. I wish that we could get a window into this conversation in the language that it was spoken, but most of us, in fact, all of us probably can't do that. But if we could, the word that God uses there, the word that NIV says is concerned, the ESV says is, I know the suffering of my peoples. That word means a very serious and intimate no. It's not a concern that is from the outside, standing from the outside looking in. It's one that says, I feel it too, Moses. I know what their suffering is, Moses. I know what's going on. God revealed himself to Moses as the holy covenant God who sees, hears, and is intimately involved in the lives of his people. And Moses asks him, well, what's your name? Moses, you've got the wrong eye. They're not going to question you because you are going on behalf of the I am. And so not only does God answer Moses' doubt, but he also answers the imaginary Israelites that Moses creates. Because he says to Moses further, verse 15, God also said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, that is, I am, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered through all the generations. Moses, the reason you have a problem with going to the people of Israel is that you've got the wrong eye. God is the I am. And he already told you who he was. Don't miss it. Don't misunderstand who God is. But that's not the only misunderstanding Moses has or the only doubt. Because what God does next is probably frustrating to Moses. Because he reiterates and elaborates on his plan. He reminds Moses and adds a little more. Because look how verse 16 starts. He says, go. Go to the elders of Israel. Right? And then he adds a little more. He tells Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you to the people of Israel, to the elders first. You tell them that I sent you. They will listen and follow you to Pharaoh. You, along with them, will tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. The women will ask for more jewelry. They'll get it. And I will bend Pharaoh over with my mighty hand. He has all that to the plan. But... If we got a little hint at the Mo- as to how Moses felt about God's plan earlier, now we get two more. Two more objections that God had, or that Moses has to God's plan. Now the first one comes in chapter 4, verse 1. Moses is going to object to this added detail that God has given. To the fact that the elders are now involved. Look what he says. Moses says to God, But behold... They will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Again, we have to think about why Moses says this. Think about it for just a second. Why did Moses say this? Why does Moses object to talking to the elders of Israel? I imagine that it's probably because the memory of the last conversation that Moses had with an Israelite is still fresh in his mind. If you remember last Sunday, when Pastor Ralph was preaching, he brought this up. Moses killed an Egyptian, and then he sees a quarrel between two other Israelites, and he asked the one, 
Why are you beating your brother? And what was the response? The man says to Moses, Who made you prince or judge over us? Who made you our leader? That memory is still probably fresh in Moses' mind. He's supposed to go talk with the elders of Israel and convince them to follow him to Pharaoh. And yet the last time he spoke to an Israelite, there was a lot of pushback. But again, as God always does with our doubts, he gets to the bottom of it first. And he answers what Moses is really saying. And he asks Moses, what's that in your hand? It's a staff. Moses, throw it on the ground. And what happens? What happens, guys? It turns into a snake. I, l- I love this little detail. little side note from the sermon. Verse 3 says, So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And what did Moses do? He ran from it. I just love how detailed the Bible is. He ran from it. If he was scared of God, now he's got snakes on the ground that he's got to run from too. The scenario is just getting bad. But in a moment of faith, when God tells him to grab the snake by his tail, it turns back into a staff. And Moses is given three signs. Not just the staff that turns into a snake, but two more to legitimize the authority of his claim. Because what Moses was really saying by the Israelites won't believe me is, God, I don't have the authority to make this claim. But again, Moses, you misunderstand who God is. But you misunderstand also who you are. Because now your objection is you don't have the authority to make this claim. And that's one of two objections that are alike. Because the next one, if you read in verse 10, Moses tells God, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Moses has doubts about his authority and he has doubts about his ability. He doesn't feel like he has the authority to be that messenger or the ability to say so. Moses, you misunderstand who you are. It has nothing to do with your authority. It has nothing to do with your ability. Moses, again, you've got the wrong eye. When you go to the people of Israel, you don't say, I have come with a message from God. You say, the great I am has spoken to me. Moses, it's my authority that you go with. That's why you have the three signs. Moses, I will teach you to speak. I am the one who will speak through you. You misunderstand who you are. Moses, the reason you have doubts is because you misunderstand who I am. But you've also misunderstood who you are. Moses, you've got the wrong eye. But, even though God has promised to be with Moses, even though He has given him signs to legitimize his authority, even though He's promised to teach Moses what to say, Moses is going to finally say to God how he really feels about his plan. And I love how it happens because God tells Moses, or Moses tells God, I'm sorry. I'm slow to speak. He makes an excuse. 
I'm not eloquent. I, I, don't, I don't have the right words. I wasn't trained. I don't really know how to do this. Excuses. Right? And God rebuts, rebuttals the excuse. And the guy who just said, I'm slow to speak, answers pretty quickly. The guy who says, I'm not eloquent, all of a sudden has a whole lot to say to God. I don't know if he was being really sarcastic, but it sounds like it to me. Because he says, in verse 13, he says to God, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. He goes from asking a question in doubt to giving an objection in fear. To making an excuse and then to downright denial of God's call. God, I'm the wrong guy. Send someone else because I don't want to do this. I just don't want to do it. But this God who reveals himself to Moses has another trait that he's going to show Moses. One more thing about him that he's going to reveal. And it's that he's a God of mercy. That he's a God of mercy. Because look what God does. Verse 14, it says, The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I I imagine he's kind of like my mom when I told her I didn't want to paint the house. You're going to paint it anyways. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But he shows him mercy. Because he concedes. He goes, alright Moses, you don't want to do this. Well, hey, Aaron is on his way. And Aaron will do this with you. Aaron will share the risk. And I will be with his mouth and yours. I will teach you how to speak. And I will teach him how to speak. And I will reveal myself to you. And you will tell him everything that he has to say. How's that? And by the way, Moses, don't forget the staff. Take it with you. There it is. God demonstrates mercy. He didn't reject Moses and say, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll find somebody else. He didn't strike Moses for his rejection or denial. He didn't castigate Moses. He didn't punish him. What he did instead was, all right, Moses, I'll bring someone to share the risk with you. How's that? A merciful God. A merciful God. But the point of this story is plain and simple, good news. The whole time it's a battle between God's eye and Moses' eye. God says, I am. Moses says, I'm not. God says, I will. Moses says, I won't. The point of the story is that we've got to see God's plans through the right eye. Not your right eye, but the right eye. The I am, the one who always has been, the God who has called us. We have to see the plans through His eye. Through the fact that He's involved. Our original question was, what happens when the problem with God's plan is that I'm in it? But the fault in the question is that it comes from a place of fear, doubts, and misunderstandings. The question in and of itself is faulty. Because we miss the fact that God's in it too. 
That another way to write the question is to say, the blessing with God's plan is that He's in it. And that I'm in it too. Because God sure as heck doesn't have to use you or me. Because God can skip right over us. But instead He chooses to use us. Involve us in His plan. The real way to say it is, the blessing in God's plan is that He's in it. And that I'm in it too. Good News Bible Church, the point of the story is that we've got to see God's plans through the right eye. Because if we don't, we misunderstand who God is. Who, how He's revealed Himself. The holy God who hears, sees, knows affliction and pain. The God who says, I will be with you. The God who says, I will teach you what you must do. The God who shows mercy. We misunderstand who God is. If we don't see God's plan through the right eye, we misunderstand who we are. Because we are nothing but messengers. We have no authority in and of ourselves. And our talents mean very little in regards to this call. God calls us not because we're talented and gifted and His plan is to use only talented and gifted people. Not at all. God calls us so that He can show us His power through us. So He can teach us the right words to say. If we misunderstand, if we get the wrong eye, we misunderstand who God is. We misunderstand who we are and we also miss the opportunity to be the conduits of deliverance. To be like the filament between the two rods that brings light. To be that link between the person and God that brings life. We miss the opportunity to be declarers of hope and proclaimers of freedom. We lessen the blessing. We cheapen the gift because we're afraid of its risks. And because of that, we end up not just sharing the risk with someone else, but also sharing the blessing of the call of God. Moses ended up sharing the blessing of this opportunity with Aaron. With Aaron who's come. And that's not to say that it's bad to have someone's help. But when God calls us to something, it's because He will do something miraculous that we will praise Him for later. And if we reject that, dismiss that, then God will share it with someone else. But He will accomplish the task. Notice that Moses isn't excused from it. Even after saying he doesn't want to do it. God never says, Moses, you're not going to. In fact, he just adds someone else. Notice also, something that I want to give you guys today is this. Moses' objections, all his fears and doubts are all said in relation to his own people. He never says, I'm scared of Pharaoh or the Egyptians. He never even brings them up when he objects. All of his objections and fears are in relation to the people of Israel. I feel like Moses sometimes too. Because all my objections and doubts have to do with me going to my own people. To my own community. To my own family. To my neighbors. To be the declarer of salvation to the people that know us best. That terrifies me too. To go to my uncle who hates hearing anything about church and say, listen uncle, God loves you. 
and he wants to show you mercy. To knock on the door of my neighbor and invite him to my mosaic small group, that's terrifying. My objections and fears are a whole lot like Moses. I don't want to go to my own people either. But good news, Bible Church, is one thing I want to leave you with. How many of you guys have the bulletin today? Hold it up, if you do. And I don't know how often you turn to the back of the bulletin because it's the same every week, but if you haven't been turning to it often, then I want you to turn to it today because I want to read something together. And it's the vision statement for the years to come. It's right, at, right under the three little characters. And we're going to read this together, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. This year and in the years to come, we the members of Good News Bible Church seek to live a life of holiness in the context of community. To reach those around us through both intentional evangelism and practical discipleship. Lovingly encouraging those in need and actively seeking God's direction for ministry through our facilities. Notice the second focus of the mission statement. Intentional evangelism. It's easiest to be intentional with the people that know us best. And the voice from the burning bush isn't just calling Moses. It's calling you too. By name. God has laid out His plan through the vision statement of this church of which you are a part of. And notice that this God doesn't, doesn't do it without coming and getting involved Himself. Remember how God reveals Himself. Look at chapter 3 verse 8 one more time. Chapter 3 verse 8, what does God say? I have come down to deliver. Good news, this church exists because God still comes down to deliver. He came down as a human being, Jesus Christ. This God who says, I am, still is. Because Jesus Christ didn't stay dead after being crucified. This Jesus who died so that our sins would be paid for, this Jesus has called us, good news, the way that Moses was called by that voice of the burning bush and has told us, go, make disciples. Very similar call to the one Moses had. But look at how he ends the call. It's also similar to the way Yahweh called Moses. Because he says, I will be with you. Doesn't God say that? Doesn't Jesus say that in the Great Commission? He says, go forth and make disciples and remember, I will be with you. That's what God said to Moses. I will be with you. Good news, the call is to be intentional in our evangelism. To reach out to this community. 40 years plus this church has been around. Moses has been a pastor for 40 years in the desert. 40 years after being a pastor of a shepherd flock, God calls him to something completely radical. 40 years in this building and I think God is calling us to something completely radical. And the vision statement makes it clear. Intentional evangelism to the community that surrounds us. Not just the blocks that surround this church, but the blocks that surround you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Our call is to be intentional, to be bold. And the promise of the called is the same. 
I will be with you. Get the right I. I will be with you. Let's pray. Lord, you indeed are the great I am. You existed before we ever were a thought. And you still exist today. Forever you will be the same. Forever you will be the same. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that your mercies have not changed. And we ask that you would help us to be bold as a church. We ask you to help us live out the intentions of the vision that you have cast through the elders. We thank you for them and their ministry to us, Father. Thank you for their humble service. And for the fact that they allow themselves to be used by you. And now we ask that you would help us to do what you have called us to do in part, as a part of your plan. To be intentional in our evangelism. And to reach out to those who know us best. Help us, Lord, to do the very task that you've called us to. You did it with Moses. You can do it with us. Help us to have the right eye. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If the prayer counselors could come forth, I'd